is called Fortune Cookie Faith. And, uh, and, and the key word there is actually going to be the first word that I didn't even say is beyond. Beyond fortune cookie faith. Now the idea is, a lot of times we look at these verses in the Bible, and they're really amazing. Sometimes we go and we buy art and we put them on our wall, and that's all fine. But the question is, do we understand those verses? Do we understand what they mean? And so we're going to look at one of those today. And uh, in honor of our Fortune Cookie Faith series, I've got a fortune cookie that I'm going to read this morning. But, but which one will I open? Does it matter? Probably not. Okay, both? Nah, I'll just take the one on the left. How about that? All right, here we go. Okay. Now, the idea will be, I will read this. And uh, the challenge will be if I, can, if I can use the fortune in my sermon somehow. We will see. Last week I had an easy one. It was like simple. But let's see what we got this morning. Here we go. A great pleasure in life is doing what others say you can't. Huh. Well, that's the devil's fortune. <laughs> All right, all right, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, all right? We'll, 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 we'll do it, okay? Would you grab a Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 46? Psalm chapter 46. If you're looking for the Psalms, they're right in the middle of your Bible. Easiest way to find it. Psalm 46. We're going to read the whole thing. Here it is. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. It's 701 B.C. He's 39 years old and he is the king. And he never thought his nation would come to an end like this. He thinks about how it all started. Fourteen years ago, young guy, 25, king, King Hezekiah. He came in with a zeal for the Lord. He came in to Jerusalem and he, he smashed idols. He smashed altars to pagan gods. He purified the priesthood and purified the temple. He repaired it. He put up gold doors on the front of it. He restored the Passover. He sent word out to all the scattered tribes and he said, Come back. Come back to Judah. Come back to Jerusalem. And we are going to celebrate like we have not celebrated since the days of Solomon. 
And so they did. And then he took another step. A step with political implications. And maybe he has regret over this to this day. He said, we will no longer pay taxes to Assyria. We will no longer give them a tribute. And when Sennacherib came to power in Nineveh, ruling over Assyria, he decided no more. There will be no nation that stands against us. There will be nobody that resists our empire. And so charged by the people and their pagan gods, he rode to war. He rode with hundreds of thousands of soldiers. He had archers. He had men with spears for close quarter fighting. He hired mercenaries that were slingers. Uh, You might know them with slings and rocks. He had chariots and cavalry. And they rode to war. They were the fiercest and they were the best army of the time. And they swept through the area and they laid waste to anyone who stood in their way. They came into Judah. And their first stop was the second most important city in Judah. A city named Lachish. Maybe you've heard of it. Sat high on a hill. Strong, fortified city. They came and they laid siege. They started fighting to the south. The slingers and the archers and they returned to volley. Listen, it's great to be high up and it's great to have walls. But the men inside Lachish were no match for the Assyrians. The Assyrians had siege engines. Uh, let's get a couple of pictures up for us at this point. Um, we could pull those up. Um, this is this is what the Assyrians. Uh, this is what their artists depicted at the siege of Lachish. If you ever go to the British Museum, uh, you could actually see these. That's where they're at now. But this was commissioned by Sennacherib to commemorate his siege at Lachish in Judah during Hezekiah's time. And you can see here, uh, that's a slinger. You see the sling above his head? Uh, next picture. Um, here you have a siege engine that's going to break through the walls of Lachish. And once they break through, you know there's no stopping all the soldiers of Assyria from flooding in. Next picture. Um, here you have uh, what they do to you when they capture your leaders. Unpleasant, not going to describe it on Sunday morning. Next picture. Uh, here you have uh, people being deported. So if you, were, if you were a common person, you might be deported, you, you might be taken into captivity. If you were a leader, you were going to be tortured and you were going to be killed. That's what they did. As a warning to any who would stand and oppose them. Next slide. Here is King Sennacherib uh, inspecting his troops and maybe inspecting the deported prisoners. He's sitting on the throne there in the middle. And last picture, I think. The archers. The archers. And Hezekiah can see them in his mind's eye. He knows they're fighting even now. He knows that he's on the hit list. Jerusalem's coming soon. And nobody has been able to slow down the Assyrian army. Nobody. 
word has reached his ears that Lachish has fallen. And he shakes. And in a moment of fear and weakness, in a moment when the thunder rages and the waters rise, he sends his men out with a tribute. 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. Where did they get that treasure? Where did they get that ransom for their city? Well, they go into the temple of the living God and they they loot it. They go into the king's treasury and they empty it. They take the doors off the temple and strip the gold off of them so that they can pay the gold part of the ransom. And they send it to Sennacherib, hoping that he will say, (laughs) All right, I see. We'll go back now and we will spare you. But Sennacherib accepts the offering, but he does not cancel the siege. It's still on. And he sends probably his field commander, Rabshakeh, great name. Uh, Rabshakeh comes into the city. And Rabshakeh comes in and he sees the men on the walls. And he, he purposely speaks a language they all understand. And he says, you guys on the walls... Hezekiah is deceiving you. Your God cannot save. Did the God of Samaritans stop us? Did the gods of any other foreign country stop us? You've been deceived. You're next. Yahweh cannot save you. Better to give up now. And he comes in and he tells Hezekiah the same. The king takes off his robes puts on sackcloth, goes into the temple, and prays. The prophet Isaiah joins him and says, everything's going to be okay. God's going to fight for you. Rabshakeh goes back to Sennacherib. There's a mouthful. Bet you won't be saying that this afternoon. Rabshakeh goes back to Sennacherib and and reports how things are going. Sennacherib's like, great. Let's send him our terms. Send him a message. We're coming. We're going to lay siege. You better surrender now. We're coming. And so, in come the messengers one more time to Jerusalem, and they deliver the message. Your God can't save you. We're coming. Surrender. King Hezekiah gets it. Gets the message. He takes the message into his hands. He walks into the temple that has no doors The temple of the living God that's been looted. It's empty. But he's there. God is there. He lays out the message from Sennacherib. And he prays this prayer. He says, oh God, you are the ruler of heavens and the earth. You rule over all the nations. You see how Sennacherib is defying you. You see the dire place that we are in right now. And we need your help. You know that all the nations that Sennacherib has defeated, their idols are wood and clay and metal. They're nothing. But you are the living God. You are the mighty God. And you can save us. And that night, that night, as the scripture tells us, an angel of the Lord came into the camp of the Assyrians And 185,000 soldiers were killed that night. And Sennacherib took his tribute and he went home to Nineveh 
and then commissioned those, those pictures that we showed earlier to be done. And he celebrated that he received this mighty tribute from Jerusalem, but he did not take the city of God. And Hezekiah means, his name means, the Lord strengthens. And so I don't know, but it's commonly thought that Psalm 46 was written about the siege in Jerusalem. That God is a mighty fortress. And that you can trust in Him. You can run to Him. So if you would open up your Bible again to Psalm chapter 46 and have it in front of you. There's a couple things going on here. There's a couple problems that the psalmist is writing about. Number one, uh, he says uh, in verse 2, the mountains are being moved. You know, there's the waters roaring and foaming. And then later he talks about verse 6, the nations raging. So it seems like it seems like the writer has a couple different threats in mind, or maybe they're the same threat. There's nature, and there's nations, and they're threatening God's people. I happen to think that when the sea rises, that's probably a metaphorical depic- depiction of the nations coming against God's people. The water is rising. The nations are raging. And so what is promised in Psalm 46 is, that God will be a mighty fortress. He will be a place of protection. And then you also see in verse 1 and verse 7 and verse 14 that God is present. Verse 1 says God is a present help. In verse 7 it says the Lord of hosts is with us. In verse excuse me, 11 it says the Lord of hosts is with us. So again, I see two promises here. My presence is with you and my protection is with you. I'm a fortress. I will help. So I don't think, when we say the words, be still and know that I am God, I don't think that we totally misunderstand this verse. But I do think we fail to see the full beauty of it, the depth of it, what it really means for us today. So here's what I want to do. I just want to share briefly four four ways you can be still and know That he is God. Four ways. Number one. Being still assumes that you've been fighting the good fight. Being still is not a call to be lazy or passive or sit on the sofa and hope everything turns out okay. It's not a call for the passive. It's assuming that you've been fighting the good fight. It's assuming that you're the archer on the wall. Uh, we are in a spiritual battle. We wage war with the sword of the Spirit, buckling the belt of, belt of truth, the boots of the gospel. Life is a battle. Jesus said, if you're going to advance the kingdom of God, forceful men do that. They lay hold of it. This is a battle. This is expanding the kingdom. But it's a battle that's fought with the weapons of love, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, Truth, holiness, this is how we wage war, not with bows and spears. We lay those weapons down, and yet, we are in the midst of it. And so this verse is written assuming that you've been fighting, that you know the intensity of spiritual battle in your life, that you've been taking ground. I remember when I was first married, and we had our first house, 
and, and we got mail at the house, you know, and at first you're like, I'm married, I'm getting mail, I love getting mail. Then you realize it's all bills and you're not very excited anymore. But, but at first you're like, I'm getting mail. But, but, but it always happens, you know, when you move into a new place, you get the last person's mail, right? Always happens. It's addressed to them and you get it and you're like, oh, come on. Or you get a package and you're like, oh, this is great, I got a pack. Oh, it's them. And so you take it back to the post office and say, it's not for me. Listen. If you've been not, if you've not been taking ground in your own spiritual life, in your church, in your community, if you've not been living out the gospel and speaking it, if you've not been growing in your faith and spending time in the scriptures and prayer, if you've not been using the weapons of your faith, be still and know that I am God is not written for you. It's not for you. It's not addressed to you. Because you, you can't stop what you haven't been doing, right? Your name's not on it. You need to get fighting. You need to get growing. You need to stop sitting around and get spiritually active. This is written assuming you've been fighting. Number two. Being still means laying down your weapons to rest in the fortress by the water. And you see that imagery in Psalm 46, that there's this stream coming into the city of God that's refreshing God's people. My friends, there's a time to say, I've been pushing hard and fighting these battles. I've I've been trying to get ahead in this area, restore this relationship, work with my kids. I've been trying hard. But right here, right now, I can just have a place of rest. And hopefully your church is one of those places where you can just lay down the weapons and rest. Hopefully you have a time in your life where you can open your Bible up and spend time with the God who loves you and rest. You know that feeling at night when nothing else is going on in your mind and you can just lay in bed and rest and nothing is bothering you? Now apply that to being in God's presence. Can you even rest at night? Do you understand God wants that for you? When Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I know the battle is fierce, but I know his rest is also deep and wonderful. Are you building that into your life? Do you have places where you can go to the fortress and sit down by the water? And be at peace with your God. Number three. Being still means laying down your arms to receive the Lord's help. Some of you like to have a high degree of control in your life. You fight hard. You try to restore things. Try to make things right. Try to make sure things are done the way they should be. Try to fix problems. Nothing wrong with that. That's part of that working hard thing, right? But can you stop at some point and say, I've done my best, now let God do the rest? Can you say that? Kids, can you you go into a sports game, kids, and play your best baseball, basketball, football, whatever it is, And say, I'll do my best and let God do the rest. 
Can you take a test and say that? And say, I've studied, I've humanly done what I can, and now I can take my hands off it, and I just let God handle the results. Or are you the kind of person that's so in control of everything that you've got to keep your hands on it 24-7? Because I don't believe God has called us to that. To keep my hands on this all day long and all night long until I fall asleep and then I dream about it, whatever that thing is. That God wants to help you with whatever burden you carry. And at some point you say, God, you're helping me do what I can do. But at the end of what I can do, I know you can do more. And you can make this thing different. You can make this right. And I leave it to you. I lay down my arms. You'll fight for me. You'll take care of this better than even I can. I love that scene. I love that scene in uh, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Um, end of the movie, there's the siege of, um, <clears throat> come up with it, Helm's Deep? Helm's Deep, thank you. Um, there's a siege at Helm's Deep, and, and the orc army's in front of it, you know, and they're stomping, and, and, and they've arrived, and the torches are there, and they're ready to fight, and everybody inside the city is losing hope, and they're like, we're not going to last the night. But honestly, all they have to do is last the night. Because if you've seen it or read it, you know that by, by daybreak, Gandalf arrives on the white horse bringing reinforcements, bringing an army to save them. All you have to do is last the night. Keep fighting and keep looking for help to arrive because your help is on the way. Can you do that? Because those who have a fierce grip and have to control everything have a hard time releasing it to the Lord. But we can do that. Because God can take out 185,000 in one night. He can do that. And He can save you without having a single arrow be fired. He can do that. And that doesn't get commemorated in the, in the Siege of Lakish release in the British Museum. But it does get commemorated in the Scripture. Praise God. Finally, speaking of a white horse... That was, a good, that was a good transition, wasn't it? Gandalf on the white horse? Yeah, I know. Uh, speaking of a white horse, uh, number four, when God says, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth, we have to see this as a promise that one day, as Psalm 46 says, he's going to break spears and burn chariots and break bows upon the return of Jesus on a white horse, to bring in a thousand year reign on earth, we call the millennium, Revelation 20. Jesus is coming back, and no matter how bad things get, in our country or another country or wherever, no matter what happens in our culture, we have the hope of the return of our Savior. And He's going to break down everything that opposes Him and bring peace like you cannot imagine on this earth. He's going to reign with justice, he is the righteous holy king and the rightful heir of the whole earth. He's coming back. And so when God says, I will be, I will be exalted, that is prophetic. Because our Jesus is coming back. And he will reign. And we are his people.
underneath his loving, sovereign rule. Let me end with this idea. I hope, I hope that, I hope that you heard something from the Lord today. And whatever army is outside your gates, that you've understood that God is your fortress and your help. This verse, be still. The only, the only difference of opinion I can see on what that meaning is, is the, this question. Is it possible that be still and know that I am God could also be written to the nations that oppose God? Could it be that God is saying, stop fighting my people? Stop fighting me. Lay down your weapons. You're not going to win. I'll break your bows and break your spears. Whatever, whatever beef you think you have with God, whatever fight you think you have with Him, you can't win it. Maybe you misunderstand the God that loves you and wants to be that stream of water bringing refreshment to you. I don't know. But the God of the Bible, the true God, as he's, as he's declared there, the Jesus who died on the cross to save you from your sin because he's crazy about you and loves you and wants to, be, wants to forgive you of all your sin. You can stop fighting him any time now. And maybe this morning's the day you need to lay down your weapons and say, Jesus, you're my Savior I submit to your loving rule in my life. Could I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes now? Worship team, if you would come up. We're going to sing still one more time. We're going to repeat the song we, we, that the worship team did earlier, only this time you're invited to sing with us. If today's your day to lay down your weapons and give your heart to Christ... Could I ask you to pray something like this in your heart? God, I know we've been at odds for a long time. I've been your enemy. And yet I know even while I'm your enemy, I know that Christ died for me. I know that he paid for my sins even while I was walking away from him. And so today I'm turning around, confessing my sin, coming to you for forgiveness. Wash me clean, Lord Jesus. Help me follow you all the days of my life.